Bears, start your engines! Yellow's out, yellow's out. Man, we just let out Rexy on Minty Puss in her. What's up, everybody? The green flag is out, and we are ready to roll three wide with DJG. Welcome to Three Wide with DJG. Before we get started tonight, I wanted to give you all a rundown of our show and what we hope to bring to all of you. Three Wide with DJG brings the latest news from short track racing to the three series of NASCAR. Hosted by DJG drivers Dakota Dean and Jarrett Widener and joined by multiple guests, this podcast will bring unparalleled perspectives when discussing the previous races, the latest news and rumors, or sharing our opinions. Three Wide with DJG is the go-to podcast for every race fan. You can listen to our newest episode anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Today's episode will be our pre-race coverage of the 50th running of the Winchester 400, where drivers will fight the high banks of the world's fastest paved half-mile Winchester Speedway. We will provide the latest news of this weekend, speak with a former Super Late Model team member, give our picks for each feature, as well as sharing our own perspectives of the Winchester 400. Our first topic will be the change in the format for the Pro Late Model race. The format that will be ran tomorrow, Friday, will be a 100-lap feature, which will consist of two 40-lap segments followed by a 20-lap shootout. So first here, uh, I guess I want to just start off with a question is, uh, how do we think that this is going to change the race? I'll, I'll go ahead and give my answer to this, but uh, uh, I'll give you some time to think on it as well. Uh, so first, I want to kind of compare this to how NASCAR runs their segments and their races. And at first, I didn't like it. Um, I was just, you know kind of the type of person that wanted to sit down and watch the whole race, you know, whatever. But as I got into it and watched, you know, they get the cars all bunched back up together, and it, it just creates good racing. Especially, I think, this last 20-lap uh, shootout is going to make for a great finish to a 100-lap feature at Winchester Speedway. Yeah, I certainly agree, certainly agree with that. I think it will affect the team strategy a lot. Um you know, what are they going to do those first 40-lap feature uh, segments? But uh, I do think that the 20-lap shootout will give fans a um, a really good show. Now, do you think that uh, the f- first two segments is going to be a lot of just save your tires, uh, save the car, really, just be there for that last 20 laps, and then just kind of pedal to the metal for the last 20 to see what the car's got? Or... I mean, I would certainly think that's what the strategy would be for teams would be to just really save their equipment, don't get caught up in, in any mess that might happen in those first two uh, segments, and then really just be there for those last 20 laps. All right. So I think next we should take a look at the entry list uh, for this race, and then we can kind of make our picks. So if we want to read down the list, we'll just kind of cover uh, the driver, um, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, so certainly. So um, our first entry into the Pro Late Model uh, feature for Friday will be Cody Coughlin, Chris Munson, John Beach, James Kruger, Kyle Jones, Nick Egan, Chris, or excuse me, Chase Berta. I don't know. So I'm not even going to try and butcher it. Uh, Mandy Chick, Billy Van Meter, Jack Smith, uh, Hunter Wright, Wes Griffith, Junior, Tanner Jack, Kobe Lane, uh, and a few other uh, strong contenders. So first look at this list. Um, My first instinct is to go with Kobe Lane just because he's a local. He races races a lot, uh, and I've 
any time I've ever watched him, he's done. He's been pretty strong. He does come a ra- from a racing family. His dad's really good. Uh, uh, Billy Van Meter is another name that I'm very familiar with. Runs a lot at uh, the Van Meters I've known from Anderson Speedway. Um, obviously, Cody Coughlin is strong pretty much anywhere you go, whether you like the guy or hate the guy. Um, that's just kind of how it is. Um, I believe Cody Coughlin won this race last year. Um, and as much as I don't want to, I think I'm going to have to go with Cody as my pick to win this year. Yeah, I think he is a very strong contender, like you said, whether you like him or not. Um, he knows how to be there at the end. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Kobe Lane. I think, you know, he's not someone you would typically think of being towards the front. Um when you're talking about other names like uh, Tanner Jack and, and Cody Coughlin, um, I'm going to go with uh, Kobe Lane for the Pro Late Model win. So next, we will cover the Boers Compact Touring Series. Uh, we probably won't cover all the names in the entry list because there was uh, on the around, what, 50, 50 entries? Yes. So, uh, so that's a lot. So we'll just kind of call out uh, some of our favorites and who we expect to win. Right, and I mean, there are some big names. There are people who are leading in points, such as Tom Gosser. Um, you know, another big name, Terry Eaton Jr., Chris Jennings, uh, Joe Jennings. Uh, I'm going to have to say that my pick for this race is going to have to be uh, Kyle Frame. For me, I like Kyle. I've never, I can't say that I know if I've ever seen him run. But I do follow his social media. I follow it pretty closely. Um, I got to say, the Barkus boys, pretty strong. But I think I'm going to have to go with Gosser here. I've seen him run several times. It's always been pretty solid. Um, I think they he's got a good car. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I think it's going to be a very good weekend for the Vores Compact Touring Series. I know that. 50 cars is a lot to make probably, what, a 30-car 30, 30 field right. for the uh, feature. That will be Friday night, uh, which we will be there, weather permitting. I know it's supposed to rain, but we'll hope that all that uh, stays away and we can go enjoy some racing Friday night. Absolutely. Now, the next race we're going to cover uh, will be the Modifieds. Again, another um, large field for this race. Um, big names in there as well. Um, the ones that come to mind here in the Modifieds would be Jeff Lane, uh, Kobe Lane. Um, I see LB Skaggs, um, Derek Griffin, uh, a lot of big names. Um, simply put it for me, I'm going to go with Jeff Lane. Uh, he's been very um, competitive and, and has ran towards the front at Mount Juan this year. Um, I think he's a good pick to go with. Now, for me... Any of the uh, Burkett or Nestor guys, they're always pretty strong. They do make mod chassis, so they're a pretty well-known group. Uh, Kyle Purvis, that name sticks out to me a lot. But, uh, oh, Cody Swanson is also running a modified this weekend, so that kind of kind of mm. caught me off guard. I wasn't wasn't really expecting that one. I saw his name today on Race Monitor when I was watching uh, watching practice times. I think personally I'm going to have to go with Jeff Lane on this one. Um, Pretty much every year that I've been to the Winchester 400, he has ran very, very well. Uh, He has always just had one little thing go wrong that uh, caused him to lose the race. 
I know one year, I don't remember if this was at Lucas Oil Raceway or if this was at Winchester or not, but one of the rivets that held his the roof of his car on popped out. So he was having to drive around the track with one hand out holding the roof of the car on. Um, so as you can imagine, that's probably pretty tough to drive a race car with one hand all the time. Right. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to have to go with, uh, go with Jeff Lane on this one. All right. Our next race, um, will be the sportsman series. Um, big names in there as well, such as Billy Hudson, um, looking through here, uh, Evan Varney, um, Brandon Varney, JP Crabtree, um, a local around here. Um, I'm going to have to go with. Probably one of the Varney brothers. I think they're um, pretty strong contenders for that series. So, I really am not very familiar with many guys on this list. I would say, for me, it's got to be J.P. Crabtree. I don't really know any of these any of these other names. But, because of that, I am not going to pick J.P. I'm going to pick some... Let's go with... I'm going to go with Billy Hudson. Indiana native, Fort Wayne. Got to stick with the Indiana boys. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll see how that one plays out. All right. Our next race on the list is the Street Stocks. Um, again, big names like Jeff Lane, James Kirby. Um, I'm looking Car- uh, Calvin Parham, JP and uh, JP Crabtree, um, Andrew Teepee. Um, for this race, I'm going to have to go with Calvin. He is a local guy. Um, I've seen him compete. Um, Previously, and I just think he's going to be a uh, strong contender. For the street stocks, I think I'm going to have to go with Andrew TP here or Jake McElfresh. I know those are two names that not a lot of people that I associate with. Uh, you know, it's not someone that they talk about. Um, I'll sure, I'm sure Jeff Lane will do fine. I'm sure that Calvin Parham will do all right as well. Uh, but I think I'm going to have to go with Andrew TP on this one. And last but not least, um, the biggest race um, of the weekend, the Winchester 400. Um, as of October 12th, there have, 20, there have been 29 cars entered. Um, this is going to be an easy pick for me. I'm not sure how well he's going to run. Um, he doesn't seem to have been having some good luck recently. Um, but my pick for this race, Stephen Nassie. I, myself, am a Stephen Nassie fan. Uh but I'm going to go ahead and go down the list. I'm going to name off everybody, and then I will make my pick. So, first off, we have Cody Coughlin, Chris Munson, John Beach, Scotty Tomasic, Dalton Armstrong, Caden Lapsovich, Sammy Smith, Brandon Oakley, Eddie Van Meter, Jack Smith, Chandler Smith, Rick Turner, Dusty Williams, Tommy St. John, Albert Francis, Jake Garcia, Hunter Jack, Colby Lane, Dakota Stroop, Stephen Nassie, Evan Varney, J.P. Crabtree, Carson Hosevar, Brandon Varney, Corey Heim, Jaron Crabtree, Austin Thom, Josh Ebert, and Kyle Crump. This is a tough pick. Like you said, I want to go, naturally I want to go with Stephen Nassie, but he has had a rather tough year this year. Now, I'm going to say that a lot of it has to do with this is his first year with his new team. Uh, so they're probably just, they're working out some working out some rough edges here. Cody Coughlin will be a tough one to go against, I believe. He's always in the supers a 
tough person to beat. Um, then you also have some NASCAR Truck Series drivers. Uh, you have a couple of them. You have Colby Lane again. Um, but I think here I'm going to have to go with probably Chandler Smith. Part of me wants to go with Carson Hosevar. He's a very good super late model driver, but he has a knack for taking people out. I don't want to say, I don't want to say whether it's purposeful or not. But uh, I know a race I was watching was it the All American Four Hundred last year that you guys were at that he was running second most of the race, and uh, on one of the restarts he just he took him himself and the current leader out, and it was just ended the day for both of them. So. Uh, I think I'm gonna have to go against him here. He's won. I think he won the Red Bud uh, last year mm-hmm. at Anderson Speedway. He was in it this year, but got taken out. All around good driver. I like the dude. But uh, and I just looked to see who won last year because I forgot. Carson Hosovar. Yeah. Oh, the Winchester 400. So he oh. is the defending gotcha. Winchester 400 winner this year. So we know it's possible for him to win it. It's just will he do it back to back? Right. So, all right. So now that we have our picks, um, we would be interested in hearing yours. If you want to share those on our social media pages, um, you will find those um, social media platforms in the description of this episode. Um, but I think it's a good time to jump in to share our 400 uh, weekend experiences um, as it is the opening day for the weekend. Um, so, how do you feel about Winchester 400 weekend? Is it something that you look forward to every year? How does it? How does this weekend make you feel? Uh, if I'm going to be completely honest, this weekend makes me feel like a little kid around Christmas time. Um, I think I started going to the Winchester 400 in 2016. Uh, I was a senior in high school. No, sorry. I think I had to be going before that. I don't remember, but... Uh, Every year, it's just been, there's so much, like, I don't even know the word to use, but just leading up to it, it's such a huge race to me. Now, I know that there's bigger races out there, you know, or comparable races, you know. You have the Snowball Derby in December, uh, but Winchester, for me, because it's a race that's close to home, it's not that big of an issue for me to go to. Like, I don't have to, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but... I like like I said, it's just like a little kid around Christmas. It's hard to sleep the night before because you know you're gonna go hang out at a racetrack all weekend and be with your friends and you know drink some beer or whatever. But you get to watch racing all weekend, right? Right. And I was just looking at my phone here because um, I have uh, a few pictures with uh, Chase Elliott and Eric Jones, um, and this was in 2015, and I remember it very vividly. And this is very embarrassing, but I'm willing to share it for the show. Um, so the night before. Um, I had found out for whatever reason that Chase Elliott and Eric Jones were going to be running in this race. And at the time, I guess it holds true now, it was being advertised that it was going to be one of their last short track races as a driver um, because both of them were moving up into the Cup Series. I remember Chase Elliott was driving the 24 at this time, getting ready to jump into the 9. And uh, I had asked my parents, you know, hey, can we please go Sunday? I really want to have a chance to meet them. Um because I'm a huge Chase Elliott fan, that's no secret, and uh, I really wanted to meet someone I look up to, and they were like, you know, I don't think it's possible, you know, it's just last minute, and we had plans, Um, 
I was so upset that I did cry um, because like you said, it's a, this race has the reputation that it has. And, 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 you know, it's something that I really wanted to go to and, and, you know, everything was just there. And uh, I remember going to bed and waking up the next morning really early. They woke me up and my dad's like, you know, get dressed. Let's go. We're going to Winchester. And I've never felt that feeling in a long time since then. It's just um, so much excitement and, you know, what am I looking forward to? And it's just something I cannot put into words. And, you know, the whole car ride there, it was just, you know, what you know, how big is this, you know, and then you get there and, and you, you know, get out of the car, you walk up to the track and it's not until you walk through the gates and you walk past that sign that says, um, you know, only the bravest drivers enter and you actually see the track for the first time. And you're like, you know, holy shit, you know, what, what is this? You know, um, it's hard to understand the track, um, until you see it, like you said, you don't understand just how high, the banking is like it it's i would say comparable to like the super speedways of nascar like it's if you were to try to walk up it you would definitely struggle quite a bit right um but i want to say that another thing that i think winchester adds as at least from a, from a fan's perspective to the race weekend is that prior to the big 400 super 400 lap super late model race on sunday they they have all the cars lined up on the front stretch at least they have in the past um And they allow the fans to go out on the track and get up close to the cars and kind of, you know, see the drivers. And it's just like a – it's a very neat experience that I think a lot of short tracks should should invest – I don't necessarily say invest in, but I think they should should try it. I think getting the fans involved as much as you possibly can, um, letting them know that they're appreciated um, because – as, like, for me, you know, granted, I didn't really get into racing until I was late teenage years. But, you know, once, you know, getting up, getting close to the cars and being able to see these machines that drive 100-plus miles an hour um, for 400 laps and they're bumper-to-bumper, door-to-door, and just being able to meet the drivers that control these things, it's just – it's an experience that I can't say I, I'll ever forget. Uh, yeah absolutely i mean you know again you know same with me you know i i was i've wanted to race since i was a child um i grew out of that phase quickly you know because it never had happened um i don't think that passion for racing reignited itself until i went to winchester and got to you know get up close and personal with the race cars and and you know meet drivers like chase elliott and eric jones and and you know all the big drivers at the time and you know it is I, I do think it is life-changing in a way. All right. So up next, uh, we will be on a phone interview with a good friend of mine, A.J. Henderson. He used to work with a super late model team uh, that they participated in the Winchester 400 several times. So we're just going to kind of get a team perspective uh, of this event. All right, A.J., what's going on? How we going? Oh, not too bad. Can't complain. So uh, we're just going to ask you some questions here to kind of get a team perspective of Winchester 400 weekend, uh, just to kind of see how it differs from a regular, just an ordinary spectator's point of view and all that stuff. Sounds like a plan to me. So the first question we got for you 
is what is the atmosphere like for a team? Like when they arrive to the track, what, what's what's it like? Well, it depends. If you've been to Winchester before or if you haven't. If you haven't, you go through the gates, you know, you see the sign through these gates past the bravest drivers in the world, and it all seems kind of silly. And then you get there and you look around. It's kind of breathtaking the first time you go there. Yeah, we And then oh, go ahead. it kind of starts, you know, trying to continue on like any other weekend, but then – you know, you go through your tech and everything else, and the first practice laps you do, seeing the car, I mean, in the corner and everything, how hard they are on the gas, all that. It's just, it's a, something like any other place. Right on. Yeah, we were just talking about uh, how if you've never seen the track before, you can't really understand it just until you see how high the banks are, and uh, just being able to envision the track, you know, even before you get cars on it, you you can kind of get a little bit of an understanding as to just how insane this track is. I say people, when you see pictures and stuff of it online, you don't really do yourself any justice. I mean, it's, it's more banked than Talladega and Daytona, but it's a half mile. Right. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's very intense. Hey, Jay, it's Dakota. Um, our next question would be, what does 400 preparation look like for a team? And when do those preparations begin? Well, from my perspective, our 400 preparations begin at the very beginning of the season, really. I mean, that's that's one of your – I mean, obviously, every every weekly show you go to is a big deal. You prepare for it just like you do anything else. But for us, there was, you know, the Winchester 400, Red Bud, and then the Snowball Derby. Those are the three that – every track you go to, you're trying to find similarities to those so you can kind of prepare yourself for that. And then you get – Let's see, there's, there was two weeks in between the last race and then Winchester 400. I mean, you, you're going through everything. Some teams have different wheels they run. You know, there's some we, – we changed out some parts because it, it's just so intense on everything. There's so much stress on everything that, you know, the stuff you'd run at, like Lucas Oil, Berlin and Michigan, stuff like that, you can't – That Winchester's not a place to mess around. It's a lot of – a lot of stress, but I mean, you go over everything from, I mean, the, the car itself, body panels, you reinforce the windows. It's, it, it's a good couple weeks worth of stuff. People, I mean, people build cars for just tracks like these. So it's, right. it's kind of wild. Now to kind of add on to this question, I do want to ask. Um, so obviously, you know, the high speeds at Winchester, if you wreck it, most likely does some damage. Now, so say if you go and you have a car that wrecks during practice or whatever, how much extra stuff do you bring uh, to try and get that fixed for race day or qualification day if you can? Well, I can tell you from experience, you will rebuild your car in the pit if you do <laughs> hit the wall. Like no matter what, it don't. Even if it's just the lightest hit you've ever seen in your life, you're like, oh, that's nothing. And you get in there. You got upper and lowers bent, spindles, shocks. It's it's wild, but I mean, honest to God, when you go to the race, every race you go to, you bring spare parts. Right. Winchester, you bring a spare car, <laughs> and enough. then you bring spare parts enough to build another car. Right on, right on. Um, so the next question, if you can answer this, I don't know if this is information you can disclose, but. So what's a typical strategy that a team would run for the Winchester 400? Now, I know obviously the main goal is just be there at the end, but 
what does like getting to the end look like? Well, from experience, you know, you just you try to lay back. Are we? You know, a lot of people do it different. I've seen people do it. You know, let's ride for three hundred. Let's ride for three twenty-five. You know what? Main goal is you don't you don't you try not to go laps down. Once you go, especially Winchester, you know you can start going laps down. It's a uh, it's not like NASCAR where it's easy to position yourself to get laps back. It's it's a tough atmosphere anyway. But most people, you know, I'm sure Stephen Matthews' strategy is a little different from someone that's 15th place. You know, he's let's lead the whole thing. I'm gonna be out here. You know, somebody else might have a strategy where you ride for 300 laps, try to sit about 10th, and then, you know, the last 50 laps, depending on the race, you're going to have four cautions. I'd give it three or four cautions in the last 50. And most of the time, they're front-running cars. So it's all it's all big guessing game, where you want to be, what you think. And then pit strategy plays into that. You generally just do what the leaders do. It kind of sounds cheap, but. So to tag along that, how do you go about keeping your driver patient in those situations? Because I know, I feel like for some people, it's probably really hard that it's just like, I want to be up front. I want to be battling for the lead. How do you, how do you get somebody to be okay with running back towards the back or, you know, mid pack for 300 out of the 400 laps? It's. Honestly, a tall task to do because anybody who's ever been in a car can tell you they just want to go. Yep. And it's hard to – got to really drive it in, you know, through practice and stuff, do your race runs. And then in the race, you know, for the the beginning, we'll say 50 laps, you're you're going. You're going, you know, see see what the car has. And then you see what your car has. If your driver is capable of, you know, easing it up and taking it easy, then you do that. But you just got to constantly, you're, you're on the radio constantly like, Hey, you know, it's only lap 75, you know, we ain't got to run this hard. You know, uh, don't, let's not get in a mix with these people. Just let them go a little bit. You know, you just got to, and a lot of it plays into who you're around. I. I hate to, you know, be like that, but there's people on the track when you're getting past, you're passing them or they're passing you that, you know, in the back of your head, if you fight too hard, you know, any little thing, most people, if you just get loose a little bit and barely touch them, they're like, oh, well, I'm junking you. Right. And you don't want that on lap 80. So it's kind of knowing who's going to race you clean and who's not. Yeah. And I will, most of, most of the people at Winchester this weekend are going to be they're all on that same mindset. So they're not – chances are they're not going to wreck you on lap 80 for a minor incident. But in, it's any given day, you never know what kind of mood they're in. Right. Right. Certainly with it being the Winchester 400, one of the biggest races of the year, I think um, patience is going to be a key um, and how much a driver is going to let slide. Um, the next question uh, that I had was um, when a team approaches Winchester – how do they go about doing that uh, if they want to, you know, qualify for the Snowball Derby um, two months later? Uh, well, you got to take care of your car. Most And most people, 
your big teams, if they're going to run a snowball derby, they've got a car set aside for the derby pits. Yet again, the snowball derby is one of them tracks where you can run your, you know, lighter brakes, lighter hubs, lighter wheels, lighter everything. And at Winchester, you know, some most a lot of guys 3D print stuff to put on cars for the snowball derby. If you go to Winchester with 3D printed spoiler braces, you're going to have a bad day. You're going to be tank jumps. Right. So a lot of the teams, like I'm sure Steven has a car they're preparing strictly for the snowball derby. And I'm sure most of the other people that are bigger teams like that have another car just for the snowball derby. But qualifying at Winchester is it's wild. You never know what's going to happen. And if you've ever been to the Derby, it's the snowball Derby is like a whole other ball game. It's, 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 it's wild. So that kind of answers my question, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyway. So from, from your answer right there, it obviously sounds like the snowball Derby is a much bigger race than the Winchester 400, right? Am I wrong in saying that? Uh, no, you, you would you'd definitely be correct. Okay. So, I guess, how much bigger? Um, I know, like, you and I have talked before where, like, a full, full week of preparation at the track kind of goes in before the Snowball Derby. Like, you, like, I believe you told me one day is set aside specifically for just doing tire stuff. Yeah, uh, like, I'm trying to think of the days here. Wednesday... Tuesday or Wednesday, you pull in, it's nothing but parking all day. It, I mean, you don't even, you don't even get cars out, nothing. You just, and then the next day is strictly tech for like six hours straight. And then you practice. And then the most intense night in the, in the snowball derby is Friday, but you don't really have that for Winchester. They used to, used to be a bigger deal and it fell off for a little bit and, over the last four or five years, it started to come back up. And I think before too long, it'll be back to what it used to be, where you get 50 cars to come run the Winchester 400. And I think, I don't know if it'll ever quite reach the marquee event that Snowball Derby has, but I think it may come close. Right. Um, the last question I had was really geared towards a one car team, you know, a team that doesn't have those spare cars or those backup cars for, you know, the bigger races like, uh, the snowball derby. Um, so as a team, as a driver, do you, or would you approach Winchester 400 with a more conservative mindset about saving, you know, their cars and their equipment for the snowball derby? Or, you know, is it, you know, one of those deals where, you know, they're focused on the Winchester 400 and, you know, what it might mean to win that race. Yeah. As a, as a smaller team, uh, from my experience, you're there at the Winchester 400. You may, you know, have a thought, let's do the Derby. Let's do this. But when you're in most, most races are like this, but the one car team, small teams, they're probably a little more. When you get to the Winchester 400 with all those cars, it's just, I'm I'm wide freaking open. I'm going for it and giving it everything because, 
you know, maybe maybe you do go up there and you run top three, top four with the the big dogs. You know, that I think a lot of little teams think of it that way instead of ah, I need this car for blah blah blah. But at the same time, they are going to be more like, oh, well, need to be more cautious about this because I wreck. You know, it's, it's expensive to fix. But for the most part, I think it's, you know, and I've always said it, you got to, you're just wide open, you go. And that's, you just hope for the best, really. Right on. Well, I think that's all I had. Dakota, do you have anything else to add? Yeah, before I let you go, or before we let you go, uh, I was yep. going to ask, do you have any picks for this weekend? Or, you know, is there somebody that you're going to be uh, looking forward to winning these races? I think the most obvious pick is my pick because I don't know how you pick against them, really. And I haven't seen a full list, so. I can read it I'm off to you if you want me to. Uh, that's fine, too. Uh, where is it? Right here. Right here. Okay. So, starting from the top, we have Cody Coughlin, Chris Munson, John Beach, Scotty Tomasic, Dalton Armstrong, Caden Lapsovich, Sammy Smith, Brandon Oakley, Eddie Van Meter, Jack Smith, Chandler Smith, Rick Turner, Dusty Williams, Tommy St. John, Albert Francis, Jake Garcia, Hunter Jack, Colby Lane, Dakota Stroop, Stephen Nassie, Evan Varney, J.P. Crabtree, Carson Hosevar, Brandon Varney, Corey Heim, Jaron Crabtree, Austin Tom, Josh Ebert, and Kyle Crump. I'm going to give you my two personal picks first, who I really want to see win the race, and who I do believe will have a chance, is Eddie Van Meter and Tommy St. John. That's who you want to see win the race? That, that would be my two personal want to see win the race. Okay. Now, who I think probably has the best shot, obviously, Stephen Nassie. Uh, Caden Lapsovich, he's the dude's a wheel man. He can, he was there last year. And any, I will say this, any Van Dorn car, has, they've been so strong this year. Fast. Has a chance. But I think if it came down to putting my money on somebody, I would, I would have to pick Stephen Nassie. I mean, I think a lot of other people would feel that way too. Right. Well, we were just talking earlier before we had you on about how the tough luck he's had this year, and we thought part of that had to do with kind of the transition to his own team or whatever, but that they were just kind of working out some rough edges. Yeah, I mean, that, that'd be tough going from, you know, where he ran with Jet all the time. That'd be it, It's a change going to your own thing, but I think they handled it really well, and I do – he has had some bad luck, but I think that'll they've now got it figured out, and I think they're going to pull through at Winchester and then gain some decent momentum to go to the Derby. Well, I sure hope so. He he's uh, he's my pick. So, well, I figured he was your pick. <laughs> but, all right, AJ. Well, I think that's all that we have for you. Uh, we just want to say thanks for coming on and answering our questions. We really appreciate it. Maybe I can uh, do it again sometime. Absolutely. All right, I'll talk to you later. So to kind of wrap up our talk about uh, this year's Winchester 400, I just wanted to mention a few names that 
uh, we're used to seeing at uh, Winchester 400 on Win, uh, or used to seeing at Winchester on 400 weekend. Uh, first off, uh, Jack Dossie the third, who I believe is no longer really involved in asphalt racing in general. Um, he's been racing dirt. Uh, second, Greg Van Alst, who I've seen run for years now. Um, I'm not sure if he's totally out of the super late model scene, but I know he's been running a lot of ARCA. I believe he has three ARCA cars now, one for super speedways, one for like mile and a half, and then he also has a short track car. And then lastly, uh, Zachary Tinkle, who, um, as far as I was aware at the beginning of the season, said he wasn't going to be racing very much because his dad had some health issues going on. Uh, So we hate to hear that, but I also know that he's been running some ARCA this year. I'm not not sure how well that's going for him. I haven't really kept up with a whole lot of ARCA this year, but I wish him the best. Wish all three of these racers the best since we won't be seeing them this weekend. They will sure be missed at the racetrack, that's for sure. Absolutely. And uh, before we move to, to, you know, closing out the show, um, Jack Dossie is somebody that I've, you know, have been looking forward to seeing at, you know, Winchester Speedway for the Winchester 400 um, for the past few years now um, since I've been going. So um, it is going to be different not seeing these drivers. But as you said, we wish them the best of luck and and uh, whatever futures um, they continue to have in motorsports. Um, to close out our episode tonight, we just wanted to talk about some um, most recent updates in motorsports. Um, you know, we find out today that uh, Tony Stewart will begin a NHRA operation with drivers uh, Leah Pruitt and Matt Hagen um, competing in 2022. Um, We also had, uh, let me find it here, um, announcement made earlier this week that Rick Ware Racing um, will be joining Ford and uh, Stuart Haas Racing, um, as well as Roush Fenway Engines um, for 2022. Um, It looks like... uh, according to this NBC sports article um, that their partnership with Roush Yates will go through the 2023 season. Um, and uh, Ware says that uh, he will have two cars and is looking for a third car to run next season, um, but that he's not quite yet ready to run a fourth car as they have been um, this year. Um, now this next topic is uh, one that I've been looking forward to as well. Um, I wanted to hear your reaction from, uh, last Sunday's race from Charlotte Roval, um, and all the excitement that took place. Well, while this isn't necessarily short track racing, it was a very interesting race to say the least. Um, I personally have not in the past been a fan of road course racing. I still prefer oval racing course racing, but I will say that the NASCAR Cup Series has made it somewhat enjoyable this season. Uh, I think the Indianapolis road course, the drivers will tell you the exact opposite because it tore up a lot of race cars. Um, They probably hated it, but I enjoyed the race. Uh, The race last weekend at the Roval was very interesting. Uh, We saw, uh, was it in the final stage when this, when uh, Kevin Harvick appeared to uh, dump Chase Elliott on purpose? Um, whether that was an intentional, uh, whether that was intentional or not, uh, we may not ever know, but from the sound of the video, it seemed very intentional. Um, now, to me, that seems like it was payback from Bristol, 
I think that's a safe uh, bet now, to place. My opinion on this right here is that I think that completely wrecking somebody and potentially junking their car is totally different than blocking or whatever Chase Elliott did to keep Kevin Harvick from winning the race at Bristol. Right. Um, now I know Chase did door him on the way back by or whatever. Um, but the way I look at it is Kevin Harvick still advanced to the next playoff round of the round of the playoffs. English is hard. Uh, so, well, it really didn't hurt him all that much. I still understand his frustration. Uh, but leading up to Charlotte Roble, leading up to Charlotte Roble, yes. Uh, so I think Kevin Harvick saw that opportunity at the Roble, and felt he had to take it, which I understand. He felt he owed someone some payback, considering uh, post race at Bristol that really didn't ever get settled. Right. At least it didn't appear from uh, television. Right. Uh, but uh, so as it turns out, it really didn't hurt Chase's car all that much. No, and you know it's a. Uh, it's very similar to last year when Chase, you know, missed that first turn, put it in the wall. I certainly thought that his race was over, um, you know, and him is him and his team managed to come back and win that race or, or whatever race that was. Uh, I cer- was it the last Rebel race? I don't I quite remember. So. But uh, you know that happened. Everyone knows you know about that and and saw the redemption that that team had. Now going into Charlotte Roval, um, Kevin Harvick and Chase Elliott were still in the playoffs. Chase Elliott still being in the playoffs. Uh, Kevin Harvick uh, did not advance the round of eight. Um, you know, I understand emotions are high, especially during playoffs. There's a lot on the line. Um, I don't think what Kevin did was right, um, but he obviously made that decision to do whatever he felt was right. Now, um, before you continue, before you continue, let me yes. say that there's a totally different, you know, if he would have just nudged him enough to move him out of the way to go around I, him. I agree. Sure. But I it's agree. it's not like he just, it's, he, he, to me, it seems like he literally just tried to take him out of the race. I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's why I'm saying I don't think it was right and, you know, um, and all that. But he did what he did. And uh, at first, you know, we were on our you know, like we were, we were panicking a little bit. We didn't think Chase was going to be able to come back and, and advance. Um, you know, I was definitely rooting for Brad Kozowski that race <laughs> to, yes. to make something happen so that, you know, Kevin would not go through. Um, now from, you know, the devil's advocate point of view, uh, I certainly think Kevin did whatever he did a lot earlier in the race than he should have. If he wanted to hurt oh, Chase's yeah. playoff chances because they were both still in it. Um, anyway, you know? he, he gave chance to, chance. He gave Chase too much of an opportunity to absolutely turn turn things around. Right. There's still a lot of laps left in that race. Now, now let me let me be clear here. I personally am a Ford guy. I I like Ford. I drive a Ford. I personally prefer Ford over uh, Toyota and Chevy, at least in racing. Uh, and I had a lot of respect for Kevin Harvick. Yeah. I do. He he's a driver. He showed it last season that he could go out and win races. But after that stun at the Roval, I just I lost a lot for him. Yeah. But I'm also a huge Kyle Larson fan. I like Chase Elliott too because I watch the first time I ever saw Chase Elliott race was actually believe it or not at the Winchester <laughs> 400. Um, but uh, so it's kind of hard having drivers that you like on both sides of the. Of the fight, I guess. 
Yeah. It's kind of like who who do you who do you go for? You know, whose side are you on? But I yeah. think on this one, it's pretty clear that it's easier to be on Chase's side than it is Kevin. Yeah, and I mean, following up with that, I saw on Twitter. I told you about it that race too, I believe. You know that you know Kevin was mad because Chase blocked him. You could say at Bristol. I had saw a tweet that said Chase was half throttling around Bristol in front of Kevin. My opinion on that is obviously playing devil's advocate. I'm sure Kevin was probably worried that Chase would have taken another dig at him had he tried to pass him. Um, but from a racing standpoint, I feel like if you can't get around a car that's half throttling and you're giving it all you got, um, that's kind of on you. Um, but anyway, Roval happened. Uh, we saw Kevin wreck um, same way Chase did when he, uh, Except, you know, except first Kevin turn. didn't hit the tires. Chase hit the tires. Right. Fair enough. Yes. Kevin missed the tires. Right. <laughs> and put it right into the safer barrier, um, which eliminated him from the playoffs. Um, so after Roval, I'm looking at the playoffs here, and I just want to go through them real quick. Uh, Kyle Larson is up 42 points from the cutoff. Denny Hamlin's up seven. Martin Truex is up six. Ryan Blaney is on the bubble with one above. Kyle Busch is below the cutoff, one below. Uh, Chase Elliott is two below, and then Joey Logano and Brad Kozlowski uh, are in seventh and eighth. Uh, Joey below uh, the cutoff by 11 points, and, and Brad below the cutoff by 16 points. So with the exception of Kyle Larson, the points are very close. Yes, very, very close. And, it, and of course, anything could still happen. Um, I did see on Twitter, and I wanted to pose this question to you. Do you think that right now Chase is or will be in a must-win situation to advance the round of four? Or is it too early to tell before Texas? Right now, I don't know if I can give a, As a Chase Elliott fan, I want to say no, he's not going to be in a must-win situation. Um, but then again, I'm, you know, obviously, what are the what are the three tracks of this round? It's what, Texas, Homestead? Is Homestead in this round? Um, it will be Texas. Let me look here. I know the cutoff race is Martinsville. Texas, Kansas, and Martinsville. Kansas. Okay, okay. So I know right now Larson, I believe, is the favorite to win Texas. Yes. Of course. He's won everything. Um, But I think Hendrick Motorsports will will put Chase in a good position. I don't think that they will do everything they can to have Chase win a race. And I think if it came down to it, you know, if Chase and Kyle Larson or whatever were battling for one and two, I think Larson would probably let Chase have it. Part of me wants to say he would. Whether that's right or not, I don't know. But I would like to see Chase get out of it, get out of a must-win situation. Fair enough, yeah. You know, I think William Byron last weekend at the Roval showed that, you know, just because you're in a must-win situation doesn't mean it can't happen. He had a very, very, very good car at the Roval. It just didn't work out for him. Right. So, you know, while it seems very unlikely, it definitely can happen if you're in a must-win situation. I just think it would be nice as a driver to not have that extra stress, you know. Obviously, you can never be too calm in the playoffs. You can't let your guard down. But at the same time, being super stressed out of it, oh, you know, which would potentially push you to overdrive the car – and wreck yourself, <clears throat> Kevin Harvick. <laughs> right, right, uh, right. But, uh... Fair enough. Um, the last topic that I have, and I'm not sure if you are really familiar with it, but um, 
I've, I told you before we came on that silly season and, and, you know, the off season after we conclude this season um, at Phoenix is going to be a very crazy one. We've seen a lot of movement, um, you know, drivers leaving one team for another. Um, you know, we're still in the height of, you know, producing the next gen race cars um, following the test um, that concluded today, I believe, at Charlotte Roval. Um, so there's a lot of stuff going on. And one team that I'm a fan of that, you know, if you follow me on social media, it's no secret. I'm a huge fan of Front Row Motorsports. And, um, you know, since their win at Daytona at the beginning of the year, you know, their team has been, you know, thrown into the spotlight, if you will. And, you know, it was a lot of questions of, you know, what what about, you know, later on in the season? You know, they're starting, uh, you know, Anthony Alfredo, who's in his rookie year, um, so on and so forth. And so more recently, you know, we saw that, you know, they were in talks with a few different teams about selling off their charter, um, you know, things like that. And, and what's the future going to hold for, for Todd Gillen, uh, things like that. Um, Bob Pockers tweeted um, the 13th, so yesterday, um, that sources, and I quote, sources indicate 2311, uh, their tentative deal for a charter from Front Row has collapsed as Front Row has walked away from uh, the, their final talks. One option for 2311 likely is to talk with Spire, right, or Spear? Spire. Thank you. Uh, which is expected to have at least two charters in 2022. Um, he then concludes that tweet saying Front Row Motorsports could remain a two-car cup team in 2022. I find that very interesting um, because, uh, especially last night, I saw a lot of race fans um, suggest that Anthony Alfredo uh, would be cut from the team and it would open the door for drivers like Matty D to potentially replace him. Um, do you have any um, any I, theories of your own? I guess not really any on this particular topic, but I do want to speak about Matty D. I love Matty D. Now, can I tell you why? No, not really. I just really like the guy. He He's a super cool guy. I do follow him on social media. Um, I do hate that as it stands right now, he doesn't really have anything going for him next year, so I do, I do hope he... Nothing confirmed. Nothing but, confirmed, but, yes. But he has said, you know, on social media that he has been in talks with a few teams. Um, so hopefully, I mean, I'm rooting for the guy, too. I'm hoping that, um, you know, he could figure something out for next season. Right. Um, I guess I just want to conclude that 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 front of news uh, regarding Front Row Motorsports. Again, I'm a huge fan. Um, I root for him every week. Um, I just want to say, uh, if anybody from Front Row Motorsports is listening – Please, for the love of God, give Todd Gilliland a, a ride in Xfinity next year. I know that's been another rumor that they're going to remain, you know, a truck team. They might have an Xfinity car uh, or an Xfinity team. I'm really hoping that's the case. Uh, I think Todd Gilliland has shown this whole season and last season that he has what it takes. Um, he's produced results in that equipment, I think. He's ready to move up to Xfinity, and I think he has so much potential, and I just really hope that uh, he's able to get the opportunity to show his potential but also stay with Front Row Motorsports. Anything else you'd like to talk about? Um, I guess this isn't really necessarily short track related, uh, but I do want to note that uh, Dakota and I do some sim racing on iRacing ourselves. Um, We are entering, what, season four? of our series now correct 
um, and it starts up in like three weeks. So that'll probably be a little bit of a topic. We won't cover it much because it's technically fake racing. But No, no, no. <laughs> but we do race for points. We race for money. We race for prizes against people we know. Uh, we've been racing against these same guys for probably about a year now. Yeah, I mean, I, I started out in season two. Yeah, me too. So we've been with them for two seasons now. Um, I will have that, uh, their social media linked with this uh, in the description also. Um, so, you know, if you guys are listening and want to check that out, a uh, great group of guys. I mean, they we put on, I think, some good quality racing. Uh, it's fun to watch. Yeah, uh, almost. I, actually, all of our races are typically broadcasted to either Facebook or YouTube. Um, like Dakota said, it's a lot of really good racing pretty competitive um we do have a few guys that are clearly better than everybody else but um we're all learning we're all getting faster we're all getting better and it's just all around good time so if you decide you want to check that out please do um and uh we'll be sure to uh give you guys some news on that absolutely point standings race recaps stuff like that absolutely and uh our hope for the next episode will be to have uh someone on my brother who uh this will be his first winchester 400 uh weekend um so we're hoping to have him on to talk about his experience and and his perspective as a first time um spectator um for that weekend it kind of would have been nice um i kind of talked to him about this earlier but obviously he's not here uh about trying to get him on to answer some pre-race stuff but we're kind of beyond that now but just to kind of see what his thoughts were going into it versus what they were coming out Mm -hmm. uh, to see if his expectations were too high, not high enough. Like, was it more than what he expected or right? But, uh, if you can make it out to Winchester speedway for the 50th running of the Winchester 400, there will be uh, races Friday night, Saturday night and Sunday night, October 15th, 16th and 17th. Uh, the actual 400 running on Sunday, October 17th. If not, be sure to check out Mav TV because the race will be live broadcasted. However, I am not sure if that is just the 400 or if that is all of everything else. Yeah, so I did find this email that I got from Winchester, um, and they said that the entire Winchester 400 weekend will be shown live on Mav TV Plus. Friday's schedule will begin with pre-race ceremonies at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and will be followed by the uh, All-Stars Tour Pro Late Model event and the Vores Compact Touring Series Compact Kingdom Race. Saturday's broadcast on MAV-TV will include qualifying for the Lucas Oil 400 Super Late Model event as well as the Midwest Modified Tour Run for the Gun 50 Lap Race and CRA Street Stocks and the Sportsman Features. Uh, on Sunday, the live broadcast on MAV-TV is scheduled to begin at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the Lucas Oil 400. So be sure if you can't make it to the track to check out this weekend's festivities on Mav TV. And finally, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, be sure to uh, leave us uh, any information on our social media. We'll be sure to check that out and uh, go from there. Uh, we appreciate you for listening and we hope you uh, continue to do so for episodes coming in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much.